Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Special welcome to those who may be visiting. We don't, uh, we don't look as visitors as visitors. We look at visitors as family because we're all family. So if you're visiting, we welcome you. Appreciate you being with us today. <clears throat> My wife and I will be leaving tomorrow for two weeks in Florida. <laughs> and I mention that because of this, we actually have our yearly harvest preparation uh, conference on Wednesday and Thursday this week. And uh, you could, we're going to live stream that. So that'll be like from 9 until 1 on Wednesday and Thursday, and then 7 o'clock in the evening for the two main sessions. Just www.hpim.org, and uh, you, can, you can live stream if you want to hear what's going on there. Well, we are in the middle of a series about David's life, <clears throat> and uh, as, we, as we come today, I have a question I want to start with. How many of you want to do great things, dream to do great things with your life. Good. <clears throat> I'm going to speak to you about that today. We're going to be talking about David's mighty men today. And uh, King David was a tremendous warrior. He was a poet. He was a king. He was a man who at one point sinned greatly. Didn't sin habitually, but he did sin greatly. And, there was, and we're going to see that there was something about David <clears throat> that drew men to himself. Now, we're talking about mighty men, but I want you to know the principles that I'm going to share with you today, they apply to mighty women also, okay? Uh, God has created us obviously different, but he has a great destiny and legacy for men and women as warriors in the kingdom of God. So <clears throat> I want to draw a little parallel as we begin. David's mighty men were really the special forces of his day. So uh, how many of you know much about what a special forces uh, person goes through to train? Some of you do. Uh, my middle son uh, was in the Marines for nine years. Uh, he was in the force recon, their special forces. He also volunteered, and you can do this, to go through the ranger training. Uh, all the services are eligible. If they qualify, they can go through the, uh, the ranger training. It's a 61-day course, and <clears throat> quite frankly, I'm not sure why anybody would want to volunteer for it. Um, it encompasses um, 19 and a half hours a day of operations, three and a half hours sleep for 61 days, 2,200 calories, which isn't a bad diet unless you're doing operations for 61 days. Uh, our son Adam's not a large man. He, was, he went into that training at about 175 pounds. And when we went to watch his graduation, we didn't recognize him. <clears throat> he was 25 pounds lighter in 61 days. So anybody want to sign up for that uh, diet? And it's interesting, in the special forces training, in the ranger school specifically, they have one goal, and that's to get you to quit. They want to push you to the very limit of what you can do. 
In fact, I was amazed in talking to Adam. <clears throat> Three and a half hours sleep is not much sleep. But when you're on operations for 21 and a half hours, or for 19 and a half hours a day, <clears throat> I would think you need more sleep than that. But he was sharing with me at the end of the training the last week, they don't allow them to sleep at all. And I said to him, I said, that's not possible. He said, oh, yes, it is. They just, they keep them busy the whole time. And, uh, and the, again, the goal is to push them to the very limit. And they have about a 50% attrition rate. There's only about 50% of those who uh, go through that training that make it through the training. <clears throat> But they want to know that those, and they're, they're preparing those men and women to lead in tactical situations where their lives are on the line, where their teammates' lives are on the line, and they want them to be able to excel and to win in those situations. And that's what they train them for. Now, it's interesting, <clears throat> as we uh, take a look at David's life and we look at the mighty men, if you were organizing and you were going to build an army of mighty men, what kind of criteria would you use? What would you use as a template to, to pick and to choose those that you would want to entrust your life to? Maybe courage? Maybe leadership? Maybe success in the world? It's interesting, <clears throat> the first scripture we want to look at is 1 Samuel 22, 2, and it says there, it says, all those, now this is a, a picture of David when he's fleeing from Saul, he's in the cave of Abdullam, Abdullam and uh, it's, it makes this statement, all these men came to David, at that point there were about 400 of them, they came to David and said, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. <clears throat> Those who are in distress, debt, and discontented. Now, how about that for the beginning of an army of mighty men? What David was looking at was he was looking at men who were emotionally unstable. He was looking at uh, men who were irresponsible, had credit cards that were maxed out, couldn't handle their finances, and he was looking at those who had a chip on their shoulder and also who were in rebellion and treasonous to the king. He said they rejected Saul's leadership, but there was something about David's leadership that drew them to him. And that's what, a little bit of what we're going to take a look at today. And so I would say this, in thinking about David, <clears throat> as a leader, and all of us are called to leadership in one capacity or another. What is your leadership style? What do you as a father say to your family in terms of your leadership style? Now, <clears throat> I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I will a little bit. Chuck Swindoll once asked a Christian counselor, he said, what is the, the most severe problem that you face when you're doing family counseling? The counselor didn't hesitate. He simply said, Passive men. Men who don't recognize their call to leadership. Men who don't lead and, in essence, abdicate their authority to others. Passive men. 
And so <clears throat> when we think about the mighty man, I think that there were a couple of things that drew those men to David. First, there was something about David's life. I think that David's life attracted men, one, because of his greatness, two, because of his anointing, and probably more importantly was the, the exercise of his, his life, just the way he lived his life. It was integrous, it was powerful, and it drew men to him. And so there was something about him. And I think the other thing is, and this is very important as we think about being mighty men and women of God, there was something about David's cause that they embraced. They saw who Saul was. They saw how Saul acted. In fact, if you remember the scriptures and so forth, how Saul became to be, become king, the people went to Samuel and they said, we want a king. We want to be like the rest of the nations. And it broke Samuel's heart. He went before the Lord and the Lord said, give them what they want. And so the people asked for a king and Saul was the man that they got. And yet after they got the king that they asked for, they wouldn't follow him or didn't follow him. Why was that? It was because of who he was and the duplicitous of his life. You know, he was handsome, he was tall, he was probably the best looking, might have been very popular to some, in some channels, in some circles, but they eventually rejected Saul and he rejected them. And the Lord said, I have chosen a man after my own heart. You'll find that scripture in 1 Samuel when, when uh, Saul has been rejected. The Lord says to Samuel, I'm going to raise up a king. And he said, I have chosen. The Lord said this to Samuel, I have chosen a man after my heart. And I'm going to raise him up. You see, the Lord created David with a heart to desire him. Just like he's created you and I with a heart to desire fellowship with him. To desire to be in his presence. To desire to have fellowship with him. And it says, it even says, and now we have to keep this in mind, we know that David was fallible. We know that you and I are fallible. But for the grace of God, there go you and I. But in the midst of that, though David sinned greatly, he didn't sin habitually. In the midst of that, it says, fast forward to, to the book of Acts in chapter 13, it says there, the, the testimony is that David, again, was a man after God's own heart. I believe it was that, that person that drew mighty men to David. <clears throat> and so uh, there's a passage in, in 2 Samuel 23, and the mighty men are listed there in uh, 2 Samuel 23. <clears throat> and it talks about this in verses 15 through 17. It says this. There were three of the 30, and of the list of mighty men, there were 37 listed in the two different passages, this passage in 1 Chronicles 11. <clears throat> then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in a stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, now, David's about to just make an offhanded comment. And I don't know if it was by design to possibly test his men or just simply a desire of his heart, but he makes this statement. And David said, now it's harvest time, it's dry, it's hot, <clears throat> they're in a cave. And David said, with longing, 
Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out and said this, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. This is not the blood, is this not the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. Now, David made this statement, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty from the well, for the water, the clear, pure water of the well of Bethlehem. And his three mighty men heard this and said that they went and they broke through the camp and they brought David a drink of water. Now, That's all it says. So we can use our imagination a little bit, and we can think, okay, what did these three warriors go through to to get that drink of water, to bring it to David? And I don't think they saw it as a sacrifice. I think they just saw it as as a way to honor their commander-in-chief. I don't think they were trying to make the next rank. I don't think they were trying to do any of that. But, But think about, it says they broke through the camp of the Philistines. They got to the gate. And I don't know, I couldn't find historically whether the well was inside the gate or outside the gate, and I'm assuming it's probably inside the gate because the walls would protect the well. And so these, these mighty men, in the process of getting this cup of water, probably had to kill a couple of guards at the gate. They probably had to then scale over the gate to get inside and get the water and probably had to scale it again to go back the other way. Now, I'm just surmising. I just want us to use our our imagination. But the point is this. They, They made a tremendous sacrifice in order for David to have the simple longing of his heart. They put their lives on the line for David, just to answer that simple desire of his heart. Are we as men of the church so embracing of the cause that our commitment to the life of Christ directs us and leads us to a place of putting our lives on the line? And an interesting thing we need to keep in mind, again, we're talking about the mighty men of God. We're talking about physical battle and physical acts of, that are unbelievable. <clears throat> we're, but what we need to understand is we're paralleling the, 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 uh, the mighty men of valor with the truth that we are called to be mighty warriors of God and not to carry a physical sword and to slay others or to carry a gun in this day and to slay others. We are called to be mighty men and women of valor who carry authority in the kingdom and we go to war for the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Adam had an excellent word when he said that we need to to give the the battle, stop trying to fight and give those things to the Lord. And we need to understand that there are things in the battle that we carry that we shouldn't carry, things like like debt and burdens and fears and, and unforgiveness and those things. We're not to battle those things. Those, we give those things to the Lord. We come and we ask him for forgiveness. He cleanses us and lifts us up and breathes upon us so that we can then enter into the battles that he has called us to. Beloved, if you don't realize that we are in a spiritual battle and that the enemy hates you and he desires to take your life, he desires to take the life of your children, he desires to take the life of your grandchildren, if that sounds like an over-exaggeration, it is not. That's his goal, his vision, his design. That's everything he does, the enemy does. It's around that purpose. 
And we need to be men and women of valor, mighty men and women of valor who understand the authority he has given us and willing to take the authority that we might bring the atmosphere of heaven into our circumstances and situations. And I, I appreciate as I look out at the congregation, I see mighty men and women of valor who do exactly that, who seek to change the atmosphere of where you live and move. My wife had an interesting situation this week. She was going to get her nails done because we're going away. She was sitting there getting it done, and, and I may not get all the details of this perfect, but the lady who was doing her nails was talking about her house or somebody's house being haunted. There was all kind of paranormal activity, abnormal activity going on in the house, and things shaking and noises, and one guy went to switch off a light switch and his hand froze and all those things. And, and they, she was talking about they were going to bring in a, a Ouija board and bring in a team of the Ouija people and they're going to find the truth. And, and there was another guy who, who does ghost busting or something and they were going to have him come in. And finally Lynn could stand it anymore and she said, stop it. She said, that's not true. She said, just simply go home and then in the name of Jesus, cleanse your house and, and, and anoint your house and dedicate it to him. In the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, I guarantee you that there were things that took place in that house that were dedicated to the kingdom of darkness. And when the enemy is dedicating the doors open to him, he comes in and takes the territory we give him. And that territory, that house needs to be taken back in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so hopefully that will work out well for them. Whether it does or not, I don't know. But please, she said, in the name of Jesus, take that authority. Church, his name is precious. It is powerful. It is the name that we move under the anointing in. And it's in his name that we can do all that he has called us to do. We can rise up and be the mighty men and women of God that he has called us to be. <clears throat> and so David, David was, was a hero to these men. And they, they sought to guard his life, and they rose to the occasion. <clears throat> One thing we do need to understand, and I did this for a long time as a Christian, I felt like I needed to defend God. I, I saw people who talked about God in a wrong way. I saw people who had a misconception of God, and I thought, that's not right, you don't understand. I would try and counsel and correct and those sort of things. God doesn't need a counselor. He doesn't need a defender. But what he does need is he needs to have sons and daughters of the Most High God who are called to be his representatives in the earth and to bring the atmosphere of heaven to our situation. There's a situation my wife dealt with that was inundated and saturated with darkness. She gave them the key to bring light into that situation. <clears throat> That's what we do. And so these men saw David as a hero. It's, it's interesting. <clears throat> it says this in... Uh, 2 Samuel 21, 16 and 17. Now at that point, David is battling with the Philistines. He's older now. This is fast forwarding toward the end of his life. And it says this. It said, one of the descendants of Rapha, uh, whose bronze spearhead weight, uh, or spearhead weighed seven and a half pounds and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of uh, Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle. So that, now listen to this, so that the lamp of Israel 
will never be extinguished. These men again gathered around David, protected David, and honored him even to protect his life. Now, it's interesting, the spiritual parallel is, obviously, we know who the light of the world is. Jesus is the light of the world. And he was extinguished for that short period of time. But he rose from the dead, never to be extinguished again. And these men knew the value of David. They knew what he meant to the nation. And hopefully we know the value of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Not just for us as individuals. Not just for us as a, as a corporate body. And not just for us even where we live in this state and city. But for the nations and for history. Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the light that shines in the midst of darkness. And he is the one that the nations are being prepared for as a footstool, as a, as a footstool soul for him and his kingdom and so we recognize that we honor that <clears throat> so who was David who was this hero that they worshiped and adored well he was rejected he was a rejected person his own family rejected him when all the brothers were lined up to be Jesse's sons were lined up they didn't even have David present and the Lord said, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one. And Samuel was a little bit confused, and he goes, do you have any other children? Or any other sons? Oh, well, we do have one, he's out caring for the sheep. Bring him. And David's claim to fame was that he was handsome and had rosy cheeks. And he would be shorter than most, people, most of the men in this place. He would probably be a lightweight among if we weighed all of ourselves. But he was a man after God's own heart. He was chosen by God just like you are chosen to occupy your sphere and to occupy your place and your influence in life. He was chosen by God. He was destined by God. And the interesting thing about David, he rose to that destiny. God had prepared him go against Goliath. He had prepared him to be the warrior that he was. He prepared him to be a man who in the midst of all the craziness of the Old Testament, of the killing and the blood and all those things, to be a man who could easily step into worship and continually worship the Lord in a way that we don't always see in the Old Testament. And so he was rejected by others, but he was chosen by God. He was anointed. He was an anointed man. And so <clears throat> these men who became enemies of Saul and who were in rebellion and treason to Saul were drawn to David. And so, um, again, as we think of the men in the church, are we committed to the cause of Christ? Are we committed to the person of Christ? In fact, let me ask you a question. For the men only, how's your love life? Not with your wife. How's your love life with the Lord? And I can, tell, I can guarantee you most men are uncomfortable with that question. We just, we just are. But it's a, a question that needs to be answered. You see, being mighty men and women of God begins with a relationship with him, a strength of relationship, and that's what David had. David understood and knew who had his back. He understood that. So these men were committed to David, they were committed to his cause, 
Are we committed to the cause of Christ and to the cause of his kingdom? When your legacy is written and the final epitaph is put on your tombstone, the only thing that's going to last in that is what is done for eternity and what's done for him in relationship with him. The church needs mighty men who are committed to the cause of Christ. <clears throat> As we go back to uh, 2 Samuel 23, I just want to quickly go through a couple more examples of these men. What does some of this commitment look like we're talking about? Let's consider Eleazar. says in uh, verse um, 9 and 10, says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, one of the three mighty men with David when they de de defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. They arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand, or he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Now, I want you to see this. <clears throat> there's, a, there's battle is taking place. The men of Israel were in an attitude of retreat. In fact, if you took a vote, they would say, let's surrender. They were in a, a place of retreat. And never, never, never underestimate your influence as one person who can change the culture or the atmosphere of a situation. Eleazar stood up, and with his sword in his hand, he began to fight by himself. The rest of the, the men, they fled. They left the area. He won the battle. Now, it's interesting. It says that those who retreated came back. They were retreating in defeat. They were retreating and leaving because they didn't believe that they could win the battle. They didn't want to give their lives. And Eleazar stood up with his sword in his hand. In fact, he said he, he fought so long and so hard that his hand actually became frozen to the sword. That means it probably his hand, the sword probably cramped in his hand. He couldn't even let it go. He fought so hard. But we need to see this, that they returned after he won the battle. Eleazar by himself and in the strength of the Lord turned, turned the battle, turned the atmosphere, and the men came back. They came back basically to get paid and to enjoy the plunder. Now, I want to ask you something. If that were you and I, if you were Eleazar, you were in the battle, you, you gave everything you had, you won the battle, you slayed all those enemies, you changed the battle, they come back and they said, okay, let's share the, the plunder with you now, Eleazar. Share the gold and the silver and the weapons. Share those things with us. What would you have done? How would you have responded? Another, another battle, Rich said. Romans, Romans 4 or 2 4 says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. His kindness to you and I that changed our lives. Eleazar was a man of integrity, a man of responsibility, a man who knew that those who fled could have a second chance. And he extended that to them. How would we respond in that situation? But he changed the atmosphere, won the battle, and allowed them to, to partake of the plunder. 
One man's courage changed the direction of the nation. Down in verse 11 and 12, we see another one of the mighty men. Shema, the son of A.G., the Hagarite, the Philistines had gathered together in a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Now, historically, we don't know exactly what lentils were. It's hard to find a reference, but we believe it was a field of beans. So they were gathered together where there was a piece of ground full of lentils or beans. And so the people fled from the Philistines. Now, this was the people, wasn't the mighty, wasn't the the warriors of Israel. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. They were there to rob the, uh, the Israelites of their food, of their source, their sustenance, and their, their, their integrity and who they, they're actually, you know, their, their creative being, to rob them of their identity. And this warrior stood up in the midst of them. Again, one person changing the atmosphere, changing the outcome of the battle. This is not your food, it's our food. But the principle is greater than that. Your kingdom's not our kingdom. You're of the kingdom of darkness. We're of the kingdom of light. Our king is the victorious one. Yours is not. And Jesus said this, he said, you. said he would destroy the enemy under your feet. He would destroy the enemy under you and I's feet. And so it's a, it's a completed battle that we're talking about. The battle that rages around us, it's a completed battle. Everything that was necessary to accomplish at the cross was accomplished in the Lord Jesus. Everything. And so it's interesting that these ones were fleeing. Where Israel previously was retreating, these ones were fleeing. Fleeing from their destiny, fleeing from their sustenance fleeing from their identity, and he steps up and changes all of that. And it says after the last verse and after this verse, it says that the Lord brought about a great victory to the hand of these two mighty men. That's powerful. That's powerful. And you should be inspired by that. And we should be inspired by that. God desires to do great things through us. And the final one, well, let me just mention this. You know, the Lord brought about a great battle there. These men, the mighty men, overcame great odds, continually overcoming great odds. Think about it for a moment. Again, we think about, you know, the parallel between the special forces warrior and the great mighty men of David. And these men, uh, thinking about the way they battled, they didn't have guns, they didn't have technology, they didn't have any of those things. They fought hand-to-hand, very close. They could smell the breath of their opponent. And yet they trained and prepared and won those battles from that perspective. We have some of those same battles before us. All of us are sitting here aware of what happened in Florida two weeks ago. There were a couple of men that totally changed the perspective of that. They didn't prevent it, but they changed the whole perspective of it and had a tremendous influence in it. The one was a coach. A lovable coach said he was loved by the, the, the students. They loved him. 
uh, and adored him. That was their, their wording, that they loved and adored this coach. And what did he do in the midst of that? This big, burly coach with a, a beard, had no weapon in his hand, simply stood in front of that gunman and gave his life for others in the spirit of the Lord Jesus. The other one was a teacher, just teacher Scott, Scott Burgle, the geography teacher. He was pretty safe. He and his class, his door was locked. They were inside. The gunman couldn't get in. There were some students out in the hallway. He opened the door to let them in, saved their life, and gave his life in the process. There were a couple of girls in there who said they were, they were absolutely certain that he saved their life because of what he did. Again, in the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men being valiant and doing great exploits. Beloved, he has called you and I to do great exploits. May I have the ushers come as we uh, prepare to take communion today. The ushers would go ahead and uh, serve the elements. And if you'd hold the elements, we'll partake together. So you guys go ahead and begin to hand those out. As we come to communion today, maybe you, you would come under the banner of one of David's men who was under distress and discontent, discontented, maybe disappointed. I want you to know that you don't have to have your life squared away in order to come. You just simply need to be trusting and receiving. This really today, I want this to be a celebration for us. And it truly is a celebration. Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. This cup is a cup of my blood given for you. This bread represents the breaking of my body for you. <clears throat> and so what do we celebrate today? We celebrate freedom from shame and condemnation. Let me say that again. That's very important. We celebrate freedom from shame and condemnation. It's not a part of God's kingdom. It's what Jesus died for. It's a completed work. It says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you don't have to battle with the enemy of shame and disgrace and condemnation. You're free of that. It's one of the things we celebrate today. We're not striving for victory. We're not coming to the Lord's table today to try and find victory. We're coming today to celebrate victory through the Lord Jesus and what he has done. We're moving from his victory on the cross to the reality of his presence in our lives. And we celebrate today the fact that we are difference makers. That because of what he has done, because we are cleansed, because we are purified by him, because we are forgiven by him, 
because we have been welcomed into his family? Think about it for a moment. It's kind of a banner over this whole message. We are simultaneously servants of God, friends of God, children of God. Joyful servants, trusted friends, and beloved children. All under the banner of the cross. Isn't that awesome? The one thought I would throw in with that is this. Doesn't that raise the mantle of servanthood to something of great dignity? Those that we serve those that we love, those that we care for, those in darkness that we seek to step into darkness and bring them into light, however God calls us to serve. It's a, it's a, a mantle of integrity and responsibility. We love talking about being friends of God. We love talking about being children of God. <clears throat> but we are also at the same time servants of God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to take a, just a couple of moments of quietness, and then as you're ready, go ahead and partake, okay? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you are El Elyon, the mighty God. And the Lord, you call us to be mighty men and women. You drape a mantle around our shoulders and our lives, O oh Lord, that is powerful. As we yield to you, as we embrace our destiny in you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you today that we can pause before these elements and what they represent, Lord. They represent victory, your victory, our victory, your freedom, our freedom. And Lord, even as that beautiful day that we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks, an empty tomb, Lord, and a risen Savior. And so, Lord, as we partake today, Lord, may the power of your resurrection well up in our hearts as your spirit explodes within us, Lord, of the truth that we've talked about today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like to invite the, uh, the ministry team to come up. <clears throat> and if you have a, a specific need that you would like prayer for, want somebody to agree with, <clears throat> These folks will, will pray with you and stand with you. I want to just take a moment also, <clears throat> just as we close. most important decision we will ever make is to surrender to the love of God. If you've never done that, if, if you can't assuredly jump up and with a bold voice and joy in your heart, proclaim that you're a child of God. If you've never made that surrender, I just encourage you today to do that. Do that just by simply saying, Lord, I recognize who I am. I'm a sinner. I recognize that you died for me. And I want to receive that. The Bible says in John 1.12, to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God. 
one of the most beautiful scriptures in behind John 3.16 in the, in the Bible. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to, to come and to talk with one of these. They'll lead you through that. If you don't know that, don't leave here today without knowing it. Amen? All right. Could we stand together? <clears throat> Go ahead, and if you have a need you want prayer for, if you're, you have a physical need, if you have a financial need, if you just have any kind of need, these folks are here to, to minister to you. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we take great joy in declaring the truth, O Lord, that the Lord Jesus is the Son of your love. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, Father, as we go today, Lord, I pray, Lord, for divine appointments for each of us, that we would have divine appointments. I pray for a boldness, O Lord, that we've never had. I pray for a a spirit of wisdom, Lord, that when we go out into the world this week, we will have your heart, we'll be sensitive to what is happening, and Lord, that we can touch as you would touch, we could listen as you listen, we could see as you see, that our hearts would be filled with compassion for those around us as we represent you, our King, and our God. We pray this in your precious name, Lord. And everyone said, Amen. Lord bless you as you go. Have a great day.